Thank you so much. That was awesome worship. There is something really special in this place. Uh, but before I uh, continue with the message, I really want to share a couple of things. Firstly, my name is Joseph. Uh, you can all call me Joseph afterwards. You know, come up, say hi. Uh, I love to um, speak to all of you, see your faces. Second thing I really want to admit is this. is I was, I was, looking, I was spending uh, an unhealthy amount of time noticing the amount of beards that the Asian worship singer and drummer guy has. Like, it's really cool, you know. And for the brother on electric guitar, I feel you. I feel your pain, man. Like, this is like two weeks. You know, so to all the people, I walked in now, your sound guy, like your worship leader, your drummer, all of them sports these beards and you're Asian. Like, how do you even do it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hook me up with the guy that does it for you, you know? Uh, But that's the thing. All right, man, I want a beard so bad. My name is Joseph and uh, I want to continue by sharing about evangelism. Uh, I know that Pastor Dexter and, uh, and, and the message you had beforehand was about living your life for God and about sharing for God. And, and I really want to share something about evangelism this morning. But I want to start off with you uh, knowing a bit about me too, because the only thing I love talking about besides God and Jesus is myself. Um, and this thing, you might say to me, to me, you know, Joseph, like, why, you know, you're so likable, you're so charming. So good looking, and I'm like, stop, please. And you're like, keep going, and you're like, you know, of course you'd be a good evangelist. But I'll tell you this: when I was a child, and uh, my sister's here, so she can vouch for me, is I was a real weird, awkward child. You know, I, th- I thought things were funny, but they weren't. No one else did. And so my mum will tell you this: is she actually admitted to me later on in life was she used to sneak into my room and uh, and pray for me when I was asleep, and for me to have friends because she was too scared that when I grew up I wouldn't have any friends. Uh, and, you know, she'd be like, yeah, because, you know, I was kind of freaking out because of your personality and stuff. And so I grew up going to church and going to Bible class. And this is the issue. When it got to, like, I, I loved, you know, reading the Bible, Bible study. You know, I'd always be like, yeah, I'm down to win prizes, you know, with all the quizzes and stuff. But when it got to evangelism, when, when, when the pastor or my teacher or my, my Bible teacher goes, hey, you're called to be an evangelist. I had an issue with that. I had an issue because the problem was the, the word evangelist came with a stigma, right? It came with an image. It came with a personality. It came with a type of person. And I simply wasn't that person. It, you know, it's, if you're an evangelist, you've got to be out there. You've got to be extroverted. You've got to see everyone. You've got to say hello. You've got to be friendly. You've got to be smiling. You know, you've got to be almost a little cuckoo, right? It's like someone's like, hey, man, I'm struggling this week. They don't even know God. You know, you know them from work or uni or school. And you're like, let me pray for your brother. You know, Jesus loves you. And you're like, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I, feel, I feel like I'm chasing them away. But this stigma of evangelism stuck with me. And so I was like, oh, man, I'm not an evangelist. You know, I started reading Ephesians. I'm like, I'm one of the other ministries. I'm not an evangelist because of the stigma that it brings. But then you read in Matthew, the end in the commission, and Jesus tells his disciples and he's telling all of us here as followers of Christ. He says, hey, all of you, every single one of us are meant to what? Spread the gospel. I'm meant to make disciples. I'm meant to bring people into the fold. All of us are meant to evangelize. All of us are meant to share about the gospel. Every single one. So then why doesn't my life look that way? Why don't I share? Why don't I feel comfortable talking about God? Why don't I feel comfortable sharing about Him everywhere I go? There is something wrong. And there is one story in the Bible. There's one amazing story that, that I love so much. It's my favorite passage. 
But it's about this woman. And it's in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible today, if you're taking notes, open up to John chapter 4 this morning. The verses that I'm going to be using will be on the screen too. Uh, I'll walk around so you guys can kind of see it. But John chapter 4. And there is this woman. And she's this Samaritan woman. I'll go into detail even further. But she's this woman who she starts off, you know, just, she's just by this well. And you don't know much about her. She's quiet. She's this seemingly, you know, rejected woman. And yet, She has this moment with Jesus Christ. Something happens in her conversation. Jesus comes to meet her, right? And at the end of it, if we read in uh, chapter 4, verse 28, right? At the end of her encounter with Jesus and the end of her conversation with Jesus, it goes, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 39 of the same chapter. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Something happened right there. Something happened to her. It wasn't her personality. It wasn't who she was. It wasn't how she was crafted. Something happened. A moment happened with her that turned her into someone that was a crazy, unashamed evangelist. So what happened? And I think if we look into the story this morning, what we'll see is that if we follow the same principles, there will be a transformation in our own life. I want to break it down. I have three observations Right? And the observations, I've named them. The first thing that happens to her is the encounter, her encounter with Christ. These are the points. The second point is they have an exchange. And the last point is unashamed evangelism. She starts off with an encounter. It leads to what? An exchange. And finally, it produces evangelism. Sorry, guys. So we start in, in, in the beginning of chapter 4. We start in the beginning of chapter 4 and we see that Jesus, Jesus is traveling back to uh, Galilee from Judea. And, and, and this is the thing. In verse 3 and 4, it says what? It says he had to, had to go through Samaria. Now, I did a bit of research. And what you begin to find out is this, is Jesus actually didn't have to go through that route. There were three routes back. There were three routes. The reason why he had to go through that route was number one, Two reasons that it possibly could be. Number one, it was the shortest route. Or number two, he had business there, which means he either had a rush back or he had something that he needed to do there. Now, if we read later on, right, we read in verse 40, it says, Jesus, because of the urging of the people there, stayed an extra two days, which means he didn't have to rush back. So the only conclusion that we have in this story, and this gets me excited, right? Because we're like, Jesus is doing something special here, is that he needed to be there. There was some business he had to do there. And so this is what happens. He says they had to go there. And we read in verse 7, 7 to 9, right? It goes, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So the very first thing is this, is Jesus had to be there. And we begin to see with this story revealing to us why he had to be there. And when I read this, I get excited. I'm going to give you guys a bit of a, you know, a spoiler, right? A spoiler. The spoiler is Jesus was going to tell her something life changing. And we're going to hear it this morning. But 
I have a really bad relationship with the word life-changing. And I'll tell you why. I had this like unhealthy addiction when I was a, like growing up, like, like 18, 19, you know, I started working and, and I earned some money and I would have this unhealthy addiction with looking at things. You know when you watch late night TV? I don't know if the younger people now, all you do is watch YouTube and stuff like that. But uh, you know when you're young and all you have is entertaining is the TV. So if you, if you go past like 12 o'clock, right? You go past any of the good shows or the bad shows or the terrible late night TV, you get to this point in the TV life where what they show you is these ads, right? And every single time, their selling point is this, is this is life-changing. I'll tell you what the ads are. It starts off by a guy coming on and he's like, how's your life? And then this lady being like, I'm trying to peel this onion, right? But I'm using this terrible blunt uh, peeler. And he's like, whoa, 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 stop right there. I got something for you that's life-changing. And she's like, what? No way. I don't believe you. And he's like, check this out. I've got seven peeler kit that can peel every single potato and onion and all these different things, and you need it right now. It will change your life. And I'm like, well, I don't even cook, you know, at the time. And I was like, will it change my life? You know, do I need a 14 stone pot pan? Like, do I need this stuff? Yes, I do. This has got to change my life, right? Thank goodness, you know, I was too poor, so I didn't order any of it. But, I had this, you know, you, you hear this and we throw the word life-changing around so much. So then we get to a point when we hear something that is actually life-changing, we say, like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. But we read what Jesus is saying to us. He starts off by, by opening the question, right? He's like, hey, he makes the conversation about water, right? He makes it about something he needs to drink. Hey, everyone needs water, right? You need water to survive, right? You need a drink. And she's like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, everyone needs a drink. But why are you asking me? And I'll tell you why. This is the issue. We'll give you some history, right? The Samaritans were, they were people that were half Jewish that stayed and interbreeded with the people of the area when the Jewish people got kicked out of that area. And so the Samaritans were seen as people that were almost like dirty. They were, it was, they were like the, the Jewish people hated them. They saw them as a lower class. They saw them as different from them, but like worse and beneath them. You know, they were very prejudiced to them. Jesus was a Jewish man. This was a Samaritan woman. So there was already a gap, right? Because he was Jewish and she was Samaritan. And they don't communicate. And I'll tell you the reason why she was picking up water at the time was because during the other times, the cool times, the times that are the best times to get water, that was safe for the Jewish people. She was drawing water at the worst time possible. That was the first thing that was occurring. The second thing was this, was she was a woman and he was a man. So, the, so, so you never see a woman who, who you know, is, is outside of her marriage. She, she's not married to Jesus. She doesn't know Jesus. And you never see a man would approach this woman and ask her for anything. Never, ever. So not only is the gap about race, it's about sex. Now, also, she was a woman that we discover later is, you know, a little bit promiscuous, right? A little bit dodgy. Not the best of the bunch, you know? You wouldn't want your kids, kids hanging out with her. Yet Jesus was a respected and esteemed teacher. So the gap was not just race. It was not just sex. It was also class. They had the biggest gap and the biggest gulf. And yet Jesus came to her and he spoke to her. He came to her and he wanted a conversation. Or he came to her with an encounter to tell her something. And we continue and he goes, you know, she's talking about this water. And she talks about if you continue to read, she's like, you know, well, he's like, if you actually knew who I was, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And she's like, what? I'm paraphrasing. She said, uh, is your water greater than, uh, uh, you know, Jacob's or Isaac's? Or, or is it something that is used? And Jesus goes, whoa, 
Verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered, everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He was saying, I'm going to reveal to you something life-changing. See, what she revealed in, 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 in her address of water was this, was that water was what sustained her physically now, but water was what sustained her, fu- sustained her future, right? Because she was drawing water for her livestock. She was drawing water for what she was using to buy or to sell or to eat also. So this water is what she thought needed or sustained her. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. The water is not what sustains you. What you're drawing is not what sustains you. If you knew who I was, I am the one who sustains you. And this is my first point. The encounter that Jesus has with this woman. Firstly, pre-encounter, Jesus was seeking her out. And I want to tell you this morning, if you want to be an evangelist or if you want to live your life for God, it has to start with an encounter with Jesus. And we have to know this, that Jesus is seeking us out. That He is looking and finding us. That it doesn't require you to be a certain way, to act a certain way. See, He is finding us in our worst state. See, with the woman and Jesus, they were so far apart that there was no way that this woman could relate or talk to or look up to Jesus even. And yet Jesus still chose to come to her. And I'm telling you this right now, is that in an encounter with Jesus, He is coming to seek us in our worst state. And we need to know this why. is because we as Christians, we often think that I need to go to church to meet God. I need to stop sinning to meet God. I need to do all these different things to see, to meet, to feel God, to experience God. And I'm telling you right now, the, the action of meeting God comes from Christ and is not based on our own actions. And the last thing about this encounter is this, is she leaves with this revelation. Revelation just means something is revealed to her that is actually life-changing. And that is that Christ is all she needs. She doesn't need this water to sustain her, to sustain her present, to sustain her future, to sustain her physical. What she needs is Jesus. And the difference between Jesus and this message of this water and what's different from, you know, a grater that can grate seven different types of potatoes in 30 seconds is they always tell you in the ads, it's a limited time. First 30 callers. Otherwise you're paying, you know, 19 payments of $7.99. And you're like, oh, I don't even want to pay 14 payments. What are you doing? I've got to call right now. Right? They always say, oh, there's a limited time on this offer. It's life changing, but it's, 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 it's limited. You better hurry. It's on you. And Jesus goes, no, it's on me. And it is unlimited. And it is there. And that is the greatest gift of grace is that it is constant and it is always there. And he has this encounter with her. And then we move on. And after encounter, what we see is that they begin to have this exchange, right? She says, hey, 15. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water. I want it. I want it. I want what can sustain me, right? So that I won't go thirsty again and keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. This is the issue. He goes to her, cool, you want this? Go tell your husband. I'll tell you something about the the culture of the time. See, a woman by herself, 
you know, and it's changed now, and this is not does, does not reflect my own personal views. You know, I respect women, women, men are equal. It's the best. But uh, the view of the time, I'm just saying the view of the time for the Jewish people, you know, we're, we're looking back at history, is this, is a woman by herself has no value. A woman by herself has no importance. She's of no worth. She's often sometimes even seen as property. And what is important where she finds her value is actually in her husband. And you see this woman, she's been married five times and the man that she's with doesn't even give her value. He's not even her husband. Six people. Six people she's been with to seek value, to seek this relationship, to seek shelter, to, to seek all that she needs, she feels she needs, and they've all failed her. Six times. And you notice that in this story, that in this passage, Jesus is the seventh man. Now, for any of you people really in love with like numbers and all that stuff, seven in the Bible means the number of completeness. And I'm telling you right now, not even ashamed, I am a complete romantic. And so as soon as I read this, I'm like, man, this is awesome. What Jesus is saying is, hey, I complete you. Right? I hear some baths at the back. Sorry. Apologies. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, you are finding your comfort, your shelter, your worth, your value in all of these things that will let you down because the only thing in this exchange is saying, the only person, the only one that will give you what you need is me. I am the one. I am He. Right? We read at the end in John chapter 4, verse 26, the end of their exchange. The woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, this is the last thing he says. So he goes, what does he say? I, the one speaking to you, am he. And this is what he truly reveals to her, is that he revealed himself. He let her know him personally as the Messiah. He said, this is who I am. And he calls her to know him personally. I want to tell you that if you want to become a person that lives life for God unashamed to be an evangelist, it starts with an encounter, but it leads to what? Knowing Him personally, to having a relationship with Him. Jesus didn't just come to say, hey, I'm going to give you something that's real good. I've come to save you from, from, from sin. But He says, I've come to bring you back into relationship with the Father. And to do that, we need to know Him personally. We need to know Him in relation constantly, every day. It is not a one-time free gift. It is more than that. It is a relationship. And then this leads to my final point. Evangelism. So we go back to, uh, to verse 19, right? We'll go back to verse 19. And uh, in the midst of their conversation, see, Jesus has just caught her out. And she's like, how did you know I had five, I was with five husbands and I'm with this sixth guy. And in her mind, she's like, is this guy a prophet? Is this guy a mind reader? And she says to this, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. I want to tell you this. She's saying, it, it almost seems kind of weird, right? Because she starts talking about worship, right? They're in the midst of a conversation about her and, and her well-being and her relationship and her status, you know, what am I? It's complicated. 
And she's like, oh, let's talk about worship. It almost seems like it doesn't fit. But you look further and, and, and if, if you add a tone to her voice of where she's at, you begin to realize what is happening. She says this. She says, sir, I know you're a prophet. Now, you know what a job of a prophet does? He actually, the job of any prophet back in the day was to call people back to God. He was the voice of God. He was there to come and say, hey, come back and, and live for me. Come back and live your life for me. And she's saying, whoa, I know you're a prophet. Well, I know from what you shared with me that you're calling me back to God. But then she starts to make excuses, right? But she says, but you guys tell me that to worship God, you guys tell me that to live for God, I got to go to that temple. But we're not allowed. We can only worship in the mountain. She was making up these excuses because what she was focused on was how you worship, right? And when we talk about the subject of evangelism, isn't that what we talk about? Isn't that what we go for training for? Hey, how do you become more personable? How do you become less creepy when you're offering prayer or a Bible passage, right? When we talk about the subject of evangelism, often we talk about how do we evangelize? How do we live for God? Whoa, did you? You've only read the Bible four times this week? Dude, not cool, man. You know? You didn't clap when everyone was clapping. We talk about why so much. And Jesus switches it back on her. And he says in verse 21, woman. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. He's saying, it is not about the how. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And this is where he reveals it. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come where the true worshiper worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of the worshippers the Father seeks. God is the Spirit and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. He's saying, it is not about how you worship. It is about who. When you know who you worship, you're just going to worship. When you know God personally, you're just going to do it. It's just going to come out naturally out of you. See, Galatians 5.1 talks about we have a new life in God. We are transformed. It is not about us trying to evangelize and changing who we are and talking a certain way. And when people ask us, hey, how are you doing? You've got to be like, well, I'm representing God right now. Hey, man, I just lost my job, but life's great. Praise Jesus. It is not about how we do it. It is about who we are worshiping. And Jesus makes this point very clear. I have come to seek you out. I've come to do that. Secondly, I want a personal relationship with you. And lastly, when you know me, you are just going to worship. When you know me, you are just going to praise me. When you know me, you're just going to talk about me. We see the result of it in her life, right? We see the result of it in how she acts. She just changes. She can't help it. She comes out, she goes to the town, people, and she's like, hey, you got to meet this guy. He's changed my life. you got to meet this dude. He's done something for me. I'll tell you what, if I, uh, my mum bought this, uh, the, 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 the thing where it dices the thing, you know, and it's one of those things where it's like, this is going to change your life, you know, buy this for six payments. I'm telling you right now, it did change my life. You know what I did? Next Christmas, you've got to be like, hey, you should get this and you should get this and you should get this. I'm going to order all of these for all of you. You know, you, this is the thing, something so small and I'm willing to, to rave about it. You know, I watch a great TV show. Oh, you're going to love it, man. You've got to watch it right now. It's life changing. Right? We're so passionate about these small things that we feel changes our lives. But we have issue. We have issue with talking about God. And so the question is not, hey, are you a good evangelist? 
you got to read the Bible, you got to do this. I don't think it's about that. I've got to tell you right now, the issue is this, is have you had a true and real encounter with Christ where you realise that apart from Him, you have nothing? That apart from Him, you are nothing. That you are in such desperate need of Him. And the second thing is this, is that, do you have a constant relationship with Him? A relationship where every single day you're reminded of how great and amazing He is of how He saved you when He sent Christ on the cross, of how He wants a personal relationship with you. Because I tell you, when you have a relationship, oh man, if any of you, I know if, you're, if you ever see a couple and they first start dating, right? You could just almost taste it, right? It's like, oh man, please get a room, like go away. Like, I can't deal, you know, you, I, I have a serial case of third wheeling. And so I remember... <laughs> when my brother, my brother-in-law right there and my sister first started meeting, they would be like, to, to kind of like ease it in, you know, because I was like, Who, what, who's this guy dating my sister? I hate you. Um, to ease it in, they'd be like, hey, do you want to come out? It's not a date. We're just hanging out. Like, um, we're just all hanging out. Let's all go to the movies together. And I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Right. And then we go to the movies and you could just see, I could just see it. Like I could sense them like sneakily, like holding hands, like just pinkies. Like my brother's here, don't do it. And I'm like, mm, okay. And I'm like, oh, this is gross. <laughs> I want to vomit, you know. But this is the thing. They didn't have to tell me that. They're not like, they're not the type of people that are like, we're in a relationship right now. Everybody know it. You know, this woman taken, this man taken. They're actually quite a respectable couple. And the fact that I'm calling them out probably makes them very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but this is the, you can just sense it off them, you know. I can tell you right now, you can just sense it off someone who has an intimate relationship with God. And what He wants is not for you to be this nice dressing Christian person that goes to church, that does all these things. What He wants is to know you personally. What He wants is to love you. What He wants is to provide you with something life-changing and that's His Spirit. And I'm telling you, and that's the honest truth. And as I get the band to come up, we're just going to spend this time in praying. But this is the thing. Church, if you take a moment and if everyone can just close their eyes and just spend some time to reflect. If you're here and it's your first time here, I love this place. This place, it doesn't feel like a traditional church, you know? It really feels like a family and a church that God, God has actually created. And what I want to say is this is, God isn't in the business of altercation. He isn't like, hey, come to me. I'm going to put a nice suit on you and get you to act a certain way, dress away. He's in the business of transformation. He wants to transform us to be more like Christ. He wants us to experience His love. And so this morning, if you're hearing all of this and you say, well, who is God? I've never had an encounter with God. I've never experienced His love. I've never experienced Him coming to me in my worst place when I was depressed when I had, was full of anxiety, when I was bitter because of what my parents or my family or my siblings or my workplace or what people have done to me, what people that I've called friends. And, and, and He's saying, hey, I've never experienced Him meeting me there in my darkest place. Whether you've been to church your whole life, you know the Bible inside out. You've led, you've sung, you've served, but you haven't had a true encounter with God. I want to tell you right now, He is seeking you out. All you got to do is respond. 
And so if that's you this morning, I'm not going to count. I'm not going to uh, do anything else. I'm going to ask that if you are seeking and wanting a true response with Him, a true encounter with Him, I ask that you stand up this morning. I ask that you stand right now. No one else is looking, but we just want to talk to God and pray with you. But if you're in need of a true encounter with Christ, then I ask that you stand this morning. Secondly, for the people who you, oh, I remember that encounter with Christ. I remember that encounter with Jesus. But for you, your Christian walk has been that one and done, right? He's like, oh, He's offered me this water of life. He's offered me this thing that's life-changing. But now it's up to me to do my own thing. I'm going to go off. I'm going to do my own thing. And you've just been at church. The wheel's been rolling. But it's almost like chores. It's almost like just life. And it's not love. It's not a relationship with Him. It doesn't just emit from you. It doesn't just come out from you. And you say, I want to be about my life. You know, I want to have my life be about God. I want to be someone who is unashamed in sharing, but I want it to be natural. I want to have this relationship with God that just outpours. I'm telling you, it comes from the Holy Spirit who is in you. And the Bible writes, if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. And this morning, if that is you, I ask that you stand and we're going to ask God this, morning, this afternoon that His Spirit comes upon you and you begin this new experience and this relationship with God. That this transformation occurs. And an outpouring of His love becomes something of this natural transformation. If that's you, I ask that you stand this morning. I'm just going to pray with you. your moment awesome I see you as I pray if it is you and you feel convicted you say man that's me that's what I'm lacking and I'm missing I want to ask God for that just join me as you stand but I see you as you stand I'm just going to pray for us right now Heavenly Father we thank you that you love us so much we thank you Lord that you care for us so much we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to come and to encounter and to meet us personally we thank you that Christ has done it all that we may have a relationship with you. And we pray now that you begin to transform us day by day, God, so that we can live for you. So it can be evangelists, not by action, but by nature. And we thank you. And we pray that we can truly experience your grace, not just know it in our minds, but experience in our hearts. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And by your Spirit. Amen. I'm going to ask that we all stand and just end off in worship.